Amen. Amen. Well, all year we're focusing on the person and work of Jesus, and today we're continuing a a sermon series called Supernatural. Supernatural. Everywhere Jesus went, he did three things. He preached, he told people about the kingdom of God. Number two, he called men and women to follow him. He called people to be his disciples. And three, Jesus did miracles. In Matthew chapter 11, when John the Baptist sent his disciples to ask if Jesus was the Messiah, like, are you the one that we were waiting for? Should we wait for somebody else? Jesus replied with these words, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus expected his miracles to authenticate his ministry, meaning he expected them to prove that he was who he claimed to be. But also, the miracles of Jesus serve as living parables, which teach us more about the character of God, about his desire for us, his people. So today, as we work through these six different miracles described in Matthew 11, we're considering the statement today, the deaf hear. What does that mean? Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please grab it and open to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. If you don't know where the book of Mark is, you can look it up in the table of contents. We'll also put it up on the screens for you as well. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit and touched the man's tongue and looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more that he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is God's word. So Mark's gospel was written by John Mark in the mid-60s AD. And John Mark was uh, an assistant or an associate co-worker of both the apostles Paul and Peter. And here... Mark has Jesus taking a road trip. Now, maybe we missed that because we don't fully know our Middle Eastern geography, but we'll go back through this. And Jesus is just going on a road trip being Jesus, being totally amazing, acting like nobody else on the planet. So let's start back at verse 31, and we're going to work to try and uncover the meaning of this text. So Mark 7, verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. 
And there, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Let's pause right here. So Mark describes this road trip that Jesus and we're assuming his disciples are taking. It doesn't mention explicitly the disciples, but they're never usually far from Jesus. Now, this road trip would have taken weeks, if not months, for them to accomplish. Let's look at this on a map. So to walk from Tyre in the northwestern corner of the region of Israel up to Sidon, and then it says down past the Sea of Galilee and into the Decapolis. And the Decapolis was a region of 10 Gentile Greek-influenced, Greek-speaking cities or communities. So this isn't really a part of Israel. This is more part of the Roman Empire, these Greek cities of the Decapolis, the 10 cities. Now, this whole looping uh, road trip would have been between a one to 200 miles. So this would have taken a very long time. In Mark's gospel, it's like one verse, and you get through hundreds of miles of terrain. And so Jesus travels into, intentionally, into this Gentile region of the 10 cities. Now, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote about the gospel that it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And Paul said, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, in Jesus' ministry, he, his ministry responds to that pattern as well. Jesus was a Jewish man. He was sent first to the Jews, and yet his ministry also included some of the Gentiles, not nearly to the extent as when the Apostle Paul was called and sent out, commissioned to be the unique apostle to the Gentiles. But here in Mark chapter 7, Jesus includes the Gentiles in his ministry as well. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So now here, it's in this Gentile, foreign, Greek, Greco-Roman context that we have this, yet another Jesus being Jesus kind of moment, a miracle of Jesus. They bring some people in the region, brought a man who was deaf, and it says he could hardly talk to Jesus. And they begged him to place his hand on him, meaning they begged him to come and heal this man. How would Jesus respond? Jews and Gentiles have not always had the best of relationships. Verse 33, after Jesus took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit and touched the man's tongue, gross, okay, he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephetha, which means, Mark translates for us, be opened, and at this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. So, in, in Mark's gospel, one of the details that you should know is that the crowds that follow Jesus at certain points in his life and ministry are not always representing the best possible relationship to Jesus. They were not always seen in the best light. Usually, in Mark's gospel, the crowds are people who don't really get Jesus or fully understand his teaching. 
And they're pictured over and against the community, often smaller community, of his actual disciples. Oftentimes, it's away from the crowds. It's in a smaller room or it's in a house of Jesus dealing with his disciples one-on-one where Jesus reveals more and more about himself or more about his mission or the meaning, the true meaning of his teaching was there in that context in a smaller, more personal relationship setting of Jesus. Now, we do know that Jesus can heal in the crowd. In another place, Jesus is walking through the crowd and someone just brushes against him and is healed. So Jesus can heal in a crowd. He doesn't have stage fright here. That's not why he took this man off to the side. I think that what this does is it shows the personal care that Jesus gives people. Jesus cares for the individual. He he never dealt with people the same way twice. If you, if you do a study of the interactions or encounters that people have with Jesus in the gospel accounts, you'll never see Jesus repeat himself from one person to the next because he honors every individual person as an individual. But also, I think that this detail gives us a little bit of a clue as to the meaning of this particular unique text. I asked last week, why is this in the Bible? That's a great discipleship question that we can ask of the Bible every time that we come to God's word. Why is this particular text here? What is God saying to us through this? Well, the context for this healing, I'm gonna say is uncomfortably close to Jesus. Where the man is healed Jesus is uncomfortably close in proximity to him. Did you feel a little touch of discomfort as we read through this passage? Mark says that Jesus goes to put his fingers in the man's ears, spits, and touches his tongue. Doesn't exactly say where the spit goes. We're left to wonder. Why does he do this? Well, as I mentioned last week, we know that Jesus doesn't have to even be physically present with someone in order to provide healing for them. So why would Jesus touch this man in such an unusual way? Well, again, I think that it's this detail, odd as it is, that helps give us a clue as to the meaning of this text. Jesus will heal this man, but he wants to get uncomfortably close to do so. Looking up at heaven implies that that the healing will come as a result of the power of God. There's no question in Jesus' mind as to where the healing power would come from. Now, this deep sigh... Uh, I think it could mean, have a couple different meanings. One is that it might reflect God's heart for his people in response to our deep, great, terrible need for healing. Or it might possibly uh, foreshadow the coming of, of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. In different places, we find Jesus both sighing in what could be called disappointment 
with the brokenness of the world. But then after his resurrection, breathing out the breath of God, who is the Holy Spirit. Either way, Jesus gives the command in Aramaic, in the Aramaic language, Ephetha, which means, as Mark translates for us into the Greek, be opened. Mark wasn't probably writing predominantly to uh, a context, a cultural, a Jewish cultural context. So they needed some help in translation. At this, at this command, the man was healed, and, and verse 35 literally says, the chain of his tongue was broken. What a visceral description of this healing of Jesus. And he began to speak plainly. Now, we don't know a ton about this man from the Decapolis. We know that he likely was a Gentile, probably Greek-speaking man. We don't know if he had been deaf from birth or if he became deaf as a result of an illness or an accident. We don't know the cause. Uh, we also don't know if his speech impediment was caused by his hearing impairment or if that was a separate issue. But imagine being this man and living your whole life, perhaps, without knowing the sound of the speech or the music or the laughter of a friend or a loved one. Imagine not being able to talk with a friend at the end of the day. Imagine not being able to hear the voice of your spouse say, I love you. How difficult would life be? But at the powerful word of Jesus, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The man is healed, and he can hear the voice of Jesus. The man is healed, and so he can speak the name of Jesus. So what happens next? It's very similar to our text from last week. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. But the more he did so, the more people kept talking about it. <laughs> That's such a funny description. Such a funny, it's, a, it's probably the best example of disobedience to Christ in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus commands silence and they're just telling everybody. They can't even be, they can't stop. And people were overwhelmed with amazement. Again, such a great description of people in response to the person and work of Jesus, overwhelmed with amazement. And I think that this is how we would have felt if we would have been there, if we would have seen, if we would have known this man, if we would have sought to be a friend to him, and then we saw how Jesus had healed him, had opened his ears and loosened his tongue. But how curious is it that Jesus commanded people not to tell anybody? This is such an interesting and an odd theme early on, especially in Mark's gospel. Now, I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again this week as well because it can be somewhat confusing. But at this point in the ministry of Jesus, earlier on, before the death and resurrection of Jesus, 
Many people had in their minds an idea of what the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the, the chosen one sent by God was going to do in the world. And most people were wrong in their expectations for him. And so I believe the evidence shows that Jesus wanted people not to speak yet freely of his ministry, of his person, of his work, because people would have misunderstood before the death and resurrection of Jesus. But then after his death and resurrection, of course, Jesus says what? Go tell everybody. Now, now you understand the, the person and the work of the Messiah. Now you understand who I was and what I came to accomplish. Now you can go tell everyone. But even with his warning, the word got out. And why wouldn't it? If you have a man who was deaf and he was healed miraculously, people would start to hear about such a man. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak, they said. Now, one of the reasons I think that Mark makes this observation of the response of the Gentiles to the ministry of Jesus is because it's a direct fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 35. Now, let's look at this together. Isaiah 35, starting in verse 5, says this, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Now, what is Isaiah describing here? Well, Isaiah had a vision of the future. He saw a future time after the judgment and the pain of the people of God in exile. After that time, there would be a new time, a time of deliverance or of salvation that was brought by God, a time of joy. And you guessed it, the deaf will hear and the mute will speak. These are signs of fulfillment. Isaiah had been writing about Jesus. So Jesus took weeks to be able to minister among the Gentile cities of the Decapolis. And he met a man who needed to be healed in order to be able to hear and to speak. And he healed him before returning to Galilee and continuing on his ministry. So what are we supposed to learn from this today? What do we take away from this? How do we apply this teaching to our lives today? Well, first, I would just say very briefly, have you let these miracles sink a little deeper into your heart and your mind? Have these been making an impression on you as we work through this sermon series? Have these miracles started to become an authentic authentication of the person and work of Jesus for you? Here, again, in this text, Jesus is saying and doing things that only God could say and do. Do you see that? Is that convincing for you? Do you see that Jesus is doing what God said that he would do in Isaiah 35? Well, for me, in light of that authenticating work, for me, there are two big lessons, two big takeaways from this encounter with Jesus that 
are uniquely why I believe this story is included in the canon of scripture. <laughs> why is this here today? Well, for two reasons, I think, at least. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time today. The first lesson is this. Healing happens in uncomfortably close proximity to Jesus. Healing happens in uncomfortably close proximity to Jesus. Are you ready to squirm a bit as we consider this glorious truth together? I hope so. Did you notice this in this text? I hope you did. Where do we see this in the text? Well, Jesus couldn't possibly get more in this guy's bubble. Do you have a, how's your bubble doing? Do you have a big bubble? Do you need like everybody in your life to be kind of away from you? Not a very touchy-feely person. You just need like some space. Or, Or are you one of those types of people that have no bubble? You're in my bubble. You're all up in people's business. There's, you want to be touching the person next to you. Is that, that might describe you. Well, Jesus was certainly in this guy's bubble. He put his fingers in another man's ears. I've never done that before in my life that I can remember. He spits somewhere uh, and then touches a man's tongue. Again, I have, I don't think I've ever done that before in my life. That is a really intimate feeling. And it's not exactly clear either, again, how Jesus used the spit, but This is all a little uncomfortable to me. But wait a second. Who is Jesus again? If Jesus is the Son of God sent from heaven, that means that Jesus is the Creator God Himself. And let me ask you this question Is God embarrassed? by our bodies, our ears, our tongue, our spit? Is God ashamed of our bodies? No, he made our bodies. He thought of this. This was his idea. He's not ashamed of them. He must be okay with them. Plus, at the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus voluntarily took on a body himself when he became a human being. After his resurrection, Jesus, we see, still has a body. In fact, Jesus has a human body in heaven today. Bodies are not inherently bad or shameful. All of our body image issues are part of the fall to sin and the brokenness of this world. So as both his creator and as this man's compassionate healer, the great physician. Jesus getting in this guy's bubble does not bother him in the least. It's not shameful for him or really all that unusual if you're considering a medical procedure. In fact, I think that the reason that Jesus did this is part of the meaning of this encounter for us today. Jesus wants to be uncomfortably close to us. 
healing and freedom and life and joy and peace, these things all grow brighter and stronger and more powerful and more true the closer that you get to Jesus. Jesus doesn't heal and remain at arm's length, separate, far off, and removed from this man's life. He comes in and immediately starts changing things around. It's like the TV show Hoarders. It's very possible that my wife Holly loves the TV show Hoarders. It's extremely likely. And if you've ever seen that show, you'll know the first thing that they do after they talk to the person that they're working with is they bring in trucks and they bring in dumpsters and they bring in movers and they start hauling stuff out of this person's house that they thought that they couldn't live without. They thought that they needed those possessions, those things. But then they find over the course of the episode that they actually can live much better without them. This is how God works as well. When God comes into your home, he starts clearing space out and throwing things out that you thought that you needed in order to live. You thought you couldn't live without. Now, for those of us who have been Christians for a little longer stretch of life, we know that we are rescued, we're saved, we're redeemed into the family of God. We don't remain individuals, just me and Jesus. We're saved into the church. We're saved into a huge community of believers, men and women who will never die. So our connection within the body of Christ is so important. We're not just individuals. We're part of this huge thing that's bigger than all of us. Yet at the very same time, God deals with us one on one. I can't tell you how often I get the comment after preaching. Someone will come up and say, wow, you, did you know what was going on in my life this week? Like, it, it was just like you were preaching right to me. And to be clear, I don't know. <laughs> what was going on in your life this week. I don't really know. I mean, I know a lot of you and I know a lot about you, but when I'm doing my sermon prep, I'm not going, how can I apply this to this specific person's life? That's the work of God. When you listen to a sermon or you open God's word and you're reading through the Bible or you're watching a teaching or you're listening to someone share their answer in a Bible study or in a small group with you, as, as you encounter the truth of God's word, the Holy Spirit applies that uniquely and personally to your soul, to your circumstance, to your life. It's Amazing. It's miraculous. The Lord deals with us one on one. I think this is why Jesus drew this man aside. He could have healed him in the midst of the crowd, but he wanted to deal with him one on one. God. 
comes uncomfortably close to us in our lives. Why? Because he loves us. He wants to press certain truths deeper into your heart and your mind because that's exactly what you needed to hear in that moment. God applying certain things uniquely to your life. God bringing conviction to our hearts, to our spirits about things that only God knows about. But also God speaking gentle assurances to our hearts, reminding us when we need reminding most, when we're desperate, reminding us that we are in fact truly children of God. There's nothing that we could do that would make God love us more, and there's nothing that we could do to make God love us less, because he knows everything about us. That's why he knows that we need healing, that we need forgiveness, that we need life. It's this discomfort. It's from this posture of exposure that God does his best work of healing and restoration and forgiveness and redemption. So do you want to stay comfortable? Stay in the crowd. But if you want to be healed and transformed in every way, you need to take a risk and walk with Jesus. Healing happens in uncomfortably close proximity to him. The second lesson this morning comes right at the end. Healing comes from and results in the ministry of the word. Healing comes from and results in the ministry of the word. Let's look at both sides of that coin. First, healing comes from the ministry of the word. It was at the word of Jesus, Ephrathah, that this man's ears were opened and his speech was healed. How? Did he have like a magical phrase or passcode that he used to unlock some secret of healing? The truth is, is that nothing in the world is more powerful than the word of God. We are told that of all the ways that God might have created the heavens and the earth, it was an act of divine speech that accomplished it. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. By God's word, the heavens were made. And everything in it, the earth, and all of the plants and the animals and the human beings that fill it. God's word is alive and active. God's word results in life and life abundant. But God's word not only causes life, it also sustains life. The author of Hebrews says that it is by a word of his power that Jesus sustains all things. 
Without the sustaining word of God, our particles and atoms wouldn't hold together. In fact, all matter and energy would cease to exist. Every moment in created space-time is a miracle of God. So is it any wonder, then, that it would take another act of divine speech to bring healing to the brokenness of this world? Is it any surprise that it would take the word of God in order to restore life? Healing comes from the ministry of the word. This is why hearing is such a big deal. This is, incidentally, why preaching is such a big deal. The man didn't need fingers in his ears. He needed to hear the voice of Jesus. This is why the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Peter quotes from Isaiah as well. So the ministry of the word brings new spiritual life so that the followers of Jesus are born again by hearing and believing this word. This was the Apostle Paul's conclusion in Romans 10 as well. He wrote, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So healing, which in this case is a great picture of salvation, comes from the ministry of the word. Finally, healing results in the ministry of the word. Hearing and believing the word of God results in speaking the word of God so that others might hear and believe as well. And I think, again, it's almost comical how Jesus commands the man to be quiet about his healing, but the more he did so, Mark says, the more people kept talking about what he had done. There's this Jewish man who visited our town. His name is Jesus, and you should have seen what he did. You wouldn't believe it. He has the power of God to heal. Come and see what type of man this is. Come and see what he has done. I was deaf. I couldn't talk. But he opened my ears and he healed my speech. Now, of course, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, as I said, Jesus had a new command for his followers. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Tell everybody about me. Tell everyone where they can find this source of, of redemption and healing and life in the name of Jesus. Tell everyone what I have done for you. So we find that healing happens in uncomfortably close proximity to Jesus, not from arm's length, but right up close, right in the business of your life. And healing comes from the ministry of the word about Christ, that is the gospel. But healing also results in a multiplication of the ministry of the word. 
you would not believe what God has done for me in Christ. So come to him. Let him into your life. Let him do his powerful work of healing, applying the word of God, the word of love and joy and peace and life into every part of your life. And then join our brother in testifying to his goodness, for he is good. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you love us enough to come after us. And though you know every detail about our lives and all of that ugly truth, you are not ashamed of us. You're not, you're not embarrassed by us. The needs that we have, whether they be physical or emotional or relational or spiritual, Father, you know what we need. You do not despise us for having to turn to you with our needs. In fact, you delight in that as a father delights in his child. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. We worship you and praise you today for all of the goodness that you have done in and through your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.